The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Everybody, uh, welcome to Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A Live with your official guest host. It's Laura Rosen Cohen. I'm speaking to you from Toronto. I'm really honored to be here. And um, some of you were asking by email what Mark is up to. Um, actually. Mark got called back um, to do bartender duties at the new WEF Confab. Um, apparently, he was a really big hit. He made cricket milkshakes. He made cockroach burgers, and everybody just fell over him, and he was invited back. And Andrew uh, is the usual substitute guest host, so I am substituting for the substitute guest host. Andrew is tagging along, helping Mark um, fix drinks. Andrew also um, had to have a very short meeting with uh, Canadian Prime Minister uh, Trudeau. Mr. Trudeau was not very happy about Andrew's amazing best-selling book that discusses the trucker freedom convoy. And uh, as punishment, Andrew had to babysit for some of the Trudeau kids. So he's been really busy as well. So you guys are stuck with me. Um, I hope that this hour passes for you as enjoyably as it will for me. Um, the reason I say this is, of course, because my husband, he wanted to do the first question. Um, I told him he couldn't, but the question was actually, how much are you going to love talking for an hour to Mark Stein's people? Um, I didn't let that comment go through. Um, he was censored, unfortunately. Anyways, we are going to get to your questions. Um, I'm also not going to do the official time zone thing. I can tell you that it is Friday, August the 19th, and the only time zone that I have to keep my eye on is this time zone, Eastern time zone, because it is only a few short hours away from the Jewish Sabbath, um, and Fridays are really, really nutty in uh, Orthodox Jewish households. Lots of cooking, cleaning, much domestic servitude. Um, Mr. C and I have gotten the bulk of that done so that I could be with you. And like I said, I'm really happy to be here. Um, hopefully we also won't have any technical gremlins. Talking is my good thing and uh, less so on the technical side of things, but we're just going to wing it along. And um, we have some good questions already. Um, they're very Jewy, some of them. So uh, you've come to the right place. And we're going to dig in. If you uh, object to anything that I say, uh, you think it's controversial, you like it, you want more of it, drop some more comments into the comment boxes and we will try to keep up with that um, in real time as best as we can. Um, so we're going to start right now. We have Mark Stein Club member Scott Scherzer who writes, 
Dear Laura, as a Jew of conservative persuasion, I often feel like a total outsider. (laughs) Hello, welcome to the club. Nearly all of my fellow co-religionists see the world 180 degrees differently than I do. While I do not belong to a synagogue and am far from a strict follower of ritual, I believe deeply in the main aspects of the Old Testament. Why do you think most Jews, with the exception of the Orthodox community, belong to the left on the political spectrum? Is this also the case in Canada? This is a great question, Scott. And the reason that I'm really happy that you asked it is because I get asked this um, basically in every form of communication that currently exists uh, to mankind. Emails, um, telephone calls, WhatsApp messages. Um, When I had a blog, people would leave me comments about this. So the short answer is that basically... um, most Jews now are not Orthodox. So that means that they don't live by the Jewish commandments, the mitzvot, of which there are 613, meaning that they're born Jewish, um, but they probably have very little um, Jewish education, very ba- very little background in um, knowing Hebrew, learning prayers, Um, They don't know about the holidays. They don't know about Jewish philosophy. So it becomes more of um, a cultural affiliation. So they might celebrate some holidays, but not to the extent of the Jewish law. There's food, cultural things that they still reminisce upon and have. um, Some people cynically call these guys um, Lux and Bagels and Cream Cheese Jews. I mean, I think that's a, a bit mean because a lot of times this comes out of a real deprivation of Jewish education and fundamentals. So basically, most of the Jews nowadays are are just not, they're not religious, which means that, you know, they're not um, living their lives by Torah or by the God of Israel, which gives very specific um, and sometimes challenging ways of living. So it is sort of a lot easier to be assimilated. You don't have to worry about what you eat. You don't have to worry about um, Sabbath preparation and keeping the Sabbath. You have your Saturdays to yourself. You don't have to get bored in a synagogue. Um, You don't have to pay for expensive day schools or expensive Jewish camps. Um, There's a lot of things that being a non-observant Jew is sort of easy. You just assimilate into the culture. Um, The problem is really, and I can't remember now who said it, but it's like more than the Jews have kept the Sabbath, the Sabbath has preserved and kept the Jews. And really, when you don't have like a Jewish rhythm um, in your life, in your lifestyle, everything else kind of uh, goes away very quickly. And I personally feel like people get sort of one generation of Jews to make things last. So if you have a Jewish family who's not particularly religious, the kids, even though they're not going to be religious, they'll still have a sense of holidays. But by the time they reach their late teens and early 20s, they're probably going to be dating outside of Jewish people, maybe not get married Jewish, in which case you probably won't have Jewish grandchildren and, and the thing spirals. So this goes back to, you know, why why do they go to the left? Um, Judaism has actually a fairly long tradition of, of messianism. We've followed false messiahs for a while. Um, that's part of it. And the other thing is that people, I think, 
just in general, um, really humans need meaning in their lives. And for much of human history, you know, until relatively recently, that was filled by um, the monotheistic religions and some other religions. People need meaning. People need to feel that they're a part of something greater than themselves. So when you don't have that, when you don't have prayer, when you don't have rhythm, when you don't have routine of Jewish lifestyle in your life, this is probably similar also for Christianity. I can't really speak to that, but you know, the 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 ritual and the regularity of going to church, of resting on Sunday. When when you don't have that, you will definitely look for something else to fill the void. So um, Jews started assimilating very greatly when they started to come um, from Europe to North America. A lot of them rejected Judaism because um, it was something that reminded them of why they were in the Holocaust. It's because they were Jews, so they just threw out the baby with the bathwater. And um, a lot of them you know, had to work really hard to make a living. They started working on the Sabbath. It became less of a big deal to do that. So um, to make things a little bit longer, um, they are Jews who were born Jewish, but their religion is actually leftism. And the leftism and the wokeism, and that gives them a really good religious feeling it's just not Judaism. So that's a roundabout way of answering your question. So that will be the same case in North America, all over in most um, Jewish communities, very culturally Jewish. Some people might even throw in Yiddish words here and there. But, you know, without Jewish practice, um, which is tough, um, Jews, I think, will generally just gravitate to the religion of leftism. And they're very prominent there. So I hope that that kind of answers your question um, about the Jews. Uh, if you want to comment on that, obviously, just throw some comments into the comment section. Moving right along, let's see what we've got here also. Um, Jamie says, another Jewy, Jewy question. Thank you, Jamie. I'm good at these, I hope. Uh, As a Jew and lover of free speech, what do you make of the tendency for Jewish groups to come out in favor of censorship and hate speech restrictions so frequently? This seems particularly acute in Canada. Yeah, I've been dealing with this subject. I mean, Mark knows about this. <laughs> he's He's been in on this for a long time, too. It's a terrible problem. It goes part and parcel with what I've just described about the leftism and that being the religion of the Jews who were just born Jewish. Um, it is shameful. It's it's appalling. Um, considering that Jews are an extremely argumentative people, um, the joke is like two Jews, three opinions. Um, you know, David Ben-Gurion, Israel's first prime minister, joked about the fact that I think it was, I can't remember which president of America was that said, you know, I have a really tough job. I'm, I'm president of the United States of America. And Ben-Gurion said something like, well, you know, I'm prime minister of a country of three million prime ministers. I mean, there's just so many jokes about how argumentative Jews are going back to Talmudic times, etc. The problem is, <clears throat> I think that the Jews um, were generally so traumatized by Holocaust stuff, it becomes like there's sort of a little bit of a religious element of Holocaustianity, you know, instead of Judaism. And we focus on um, bad things about the Holocaust. And there's this naive view that if you just, you know, make people not say bad things about us, then they're not going to have bad thoughts about us. Um, this is like a real leftist thing. It's like, um, you know, don't say the word retarded. Um, 
that's really mean. And it means you'll be mean to these people. It's like the problem is not really the word retarded. It's that people hate disabled people. And similarly, I think a lot of Jews mistakenly believe that if you just limit what people can say about Jews, you can't say that about us. You know, that that sort of solves the problem. We've got this like polite veneer on the surface. I mean, obviously, that does absolutely zero um, to deal with anti-Semitism or to deal with the actual real threats um, against the Jewish people. It's very naive. It's wishful thinking. It's really very contra to actual Jewish practice and history. Um, I have another joke about that. But, you know, if we have time, I'll go back to the synagogue joke. But anyways, um, it's terrible. Jewish groups definitely are on the wrong side of this. I've written about this for many years without much success. Um, I kind of made myself persona non grata, like with the Canadian Jewish Congress arguing about this. And the other thing, again, in this line of like Holocaust trauma and just not focusing on the real threat, like it's very easy you know, to win World War II over and over again. Like, we got those Nazis. Ugh. So that's why, you know, Jews um, who are of the left are very unwilling to discuss real threats like Islamic terrorism, um, leftist anti-Semitism. They just don't want to hear it. Just plug plug your fingers in your ears, la la la. Um, really not interested in that. So it is a big problem. You'll find that, like, you know, more traditional Orthodox Jews will be more right-wing um, politically more conservative there is um, a lot of that and then there's certainly Jews who are just you know more nationalistic but secular who will also be on the right and I think obviously where you find those opinions you're going to find a much bigger commitment to a more robust tradition of um, freedom of speech and um, an argument so yeah it's really wrong-headed um, when I had a blog I had this category that I called like my idiot people because it's just it's such a fundamentally colossal error for Jews to be on that side and I think also um, naively they thought that as influential members of society and successful people that the Jews could use these censorious techniques um, and that it would only be used by Jews. <laughs> and of course, that was really dumb because what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And now we see um, some of the most virulent anti-Semites like on the planet are very protected by hate speech laws, hate crime stuff. So it's all, you know, terrifically boomeranged on the Jews. Of course, they're just going to double down. Um and that's why, like, none of these leftist Jewish organizations, these Jewish kooks, are willing to debate anybody. I think I, even when I was, like, younger and, you know, not as refined, um, I offered to debate one of the crazy Jews in chief of a, of a major official Jewish organization, as Ezra Levant called them, the OJs. And nobody takes you up on that because they don't want to hear. Um, they're just really not interested. So that is how I see it. Um, Good, good Jewy questions. Thank you um, for both of those. Uh, let's see, what else have we got there? Uh, da, 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 da. Okay, um, Chris Hall. Hi, Laura. I've been rewatching the Kenneth Clark BBC series Civilization that aired many years ago. There's wonderful points that he made that resonate today, especially concerning the confidence that Western civilization had when it rose to dominate the world. One observation that always stuck with me was Clark's statement that the Dutch were the first to ask the question, does it work or does it pay rather than is it the will of God? 
we now have reverted to a manner of thinking that predates the Enlightenment, but the God of today cannot be found in the Bible or Torah. Instead, it is in the mantle of science, sciencey science, and the goddess Gaia, etc. Um, yeah, I'm very uncomfortable with the near religious tones that have infected basically everything, right? Um, yeah, I'll just dive in there. Obviously, like I said previously, you know, with the Jewish community, people, human beings need meaning. You, you know, you feel unrooted if you are not part of something meaningful in this human experience. There's just too many things that a human experiences. And if you're not connected, and if you don't feel like there's some higher power, something beyond, um, you know, getting up, having something to eat, having your coffee and getting a shinier iPhone, etc., you're going to be really miserable, I think. Um, you know, the most satisfied and happy people that I know are religious people with great faith. Um, that doesn't mean that faith's an answer to everything. But yeah, I think that um, Gaia, Goddess, and Sciency Science, these are secular human man-made, quote, solutions to the problem of meaning and to an absence of faith. Um, it's really sad. I mean, you know, I've had plenty of encounters where sort of, you know, even to be frank, like, uh, you know, an, an after work, after office hours culture of, you know, I see a lot of single people um, just hitting bars and stuff after, after a day of work. And it's like a lot of these young people, I think, um, they've been sold a real bill of goods. Um, you know, I think that the most meaningful thing is to have a family, to have a, a, a partner and to bring children into the world. Um, I can't think of anything that's more meaningful than that. That's the way you live on in eternity is through your children. And um, I think there's a lot of emptiness when people don't have that. So faith, children, all these good things that, you know, humans have clued into um, through the holy books, um, those are all good things. And anything that man comes up with, man usually screws it up. Um, obviously, we can see that nowadays, too. Um, humans in political leadership positions, humans of influence, humans of billionaire money inclination have screwed up everything on this planet for other humans. So um, I guess one way you just have to look at it is is this thing, whatever is going on, is it pro-human? You know, is it like pro-babies and pro-life? Or is this part of like the culture of death? <laughs> it's kind of a dark way to look at it. But, you know, you can really tell. Are people like on your side and lively and full of joy um, and celebrating life and celebrating being here? Like, why are we here and what are we going to do here? How are we going to make this stay on planet Earth good? Um, so if it's not God, um, it's going to be something else. Um, I am getting a request to speak louder, and I am going to do that as best as I can. Let's see what else we have here. Um, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip a few Jewy things, and we're going to go to Eric Dale. Eric Dale says, long live the Laura Rosen Cohen revolution at the Mark Stein Club. Long may you reign in the Friday Q&A. I appreciate that very much, Eric. I'm hoping that after this, um, everybody at Stein HQ is going to send in their measurements for specially designed custom 
military style outfits for the revolution. I think that's really important that we all be appropriately dressed. But yes, thank you. I am really happy to be here. Um, your question, what are your thoughts on the possibility that the anti-terrorism legislation of the post 9-11 era will or are being weaponized against political opposition to the political elites of today, if you would have equated the FBI with the Stasi, the Gestapo, or KGB a few years ago, I would have dismissed it as a campus radical missing from his college habitat. Now it seems those fringe figures have been right the whole time. Do you foresee any country in the West having the will to dismantle its rogue security state? Um, basically, no, <laughs> not so much. Uh, but let's go through the points a little bit more carefully. I, I don't mean to be glib. I just really don't see so much uh, reason for optimism right now about that. Um, you know, after 9-11, uh, I remember talking to a few people in my circles and there was kind of this feeling like, oh, this is big enough, now they'll understand. Yeah, now people are going to get it. Now people are going to know about this human evil, this crazy terrorism. They're going to get it. We're going to fix this. We're going to deal with it. And that feeling lasted, you know, for like a few hours or days because then we just went right into the war on terror Nobody really paid attention to where the terrorists were from, what they were inspired by. Um, so that's basically why I sort of don't commemorate 9-11 now, because there's been no education, there's been no learning, um, and I'm not sure there really will be. Um, so not, not too optimistic on anything post 9-11. I mean, 9-11 really should have changed almost everything. Um, and instead, as Mark points out very frequently, we're still shuffling along, taking our shoes off at airports. Um, you know, grannies are being strip searched. Children are being touched around their genitals by uh, this uh, airport kabuki theater. And I, I remember I was in an airport. I think I was in Cleveland. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't think I look particularly suspicious. Um, and I had a carry on, I was going to a conference and I was pulled out of the line um, for the full body pat down, um, the hand swiping for uh, remnants of, uh, you know, bomb material, like they, they took the cotton swab and were swabbing my hands. And then I had to go into a special x-ray machine and put my hands up. Um, you know, this is like absolutely crazy stuff. Um, basically... Uh, there's going to be no learning because I, you know, if we should be profiling, that should not be a bad thing. We should be able to talk honestly about the fact that somebody like me, like an uppity Jewish mother from Toronto is uh, less of a security risk than, you know, some of the some of the guys who pulled off 9-11 and uh, were never called out by security because people were too scared of being called racist. You know, these are these are disasters. And it's like, it's not it, it's cowardice. That's not just a personal cowardice. Like on some level, you can forgive people. Oh, you know, don't use my name because I'm scared. I'm going to lose my job, even though there's other jobs. Oh, don't use my name because um, I'm saying something that's 
you know, actually true and I don't want to lose my um, my seat in the faculty club or whatever it is. That's like, it's bad enough. It's personal cowardice, but there's this additional level of cowardice that is, it just, it leads to death. It leads to human carnage and massacres and that's unforgivable. So um, I'm not super optimistic about that in terms of like equating these forces with, the Stasi, the Gestapo, and KGB. Yeah, like, duh, of course there are similarities. There are absolutely similarities um, because those guys are heavily armed. They can make your life miserable in a matter of moments if you are their target for whatever reason. Um, there's very little optimism to get out of their spider webs once you're in it. I mean, look at look at the people suffering, the January 6th, quote unquote, insurrectionists. This is true Banana Republic stuff. It, it is, you know, the Soviets would have been like envious about this. Um, those people are rotting in jail. Um, they they are bankrupt. I think one committed suicide. That's in America. OK, that is heartbreaking stuff. That is something I'm really not sure how you recover from that, because um, I think that really the left has made it so that I'm, I'm not kidding about this. I mean, you can, might think I'm like a conspiracy kook, too. But I think the last election, you know, when we're supposed to swallow that Joe Biden won this fantastic majority and he is the enlightened, anointed president of America, there is nothing suspicious about it all. Everything is perfect. I really think the lesson that that they, this blob of evil, wanted to get to us is like, you will never have a Republican president again. We have fixed things, quote unquote, like from all directions. You know, they're very methodic. They're very evil. Um, and the corruption is so deep. It, it I, I don't even know how you guys are going to have in America like a free presidential election. Like everything has been so compromised. So yeah, these are these are definitely page books out of the KGB. Um, Gestapo, <coughs> sorry, I'm just going to take a little sip of water here. Yeah, the Gestapo thing, I mean, you'll, you'll hear a lot of people say like, oh no, you know, nothing compares to the Holocaust. We're not going to talk about Holocaust comparisons, etc. But I have to tell you that um, I, you know, had an experience when I went to Poland with my father to look at the villages, the shtetls, where my family came from. And we went to one in particular, this small, really grubby shtetl. And um, we went to the city hall. We, we, we would go to whatever city hall there was, these little buildings, and ask where the cemetery was because they were usually destroyed, ask where the synagogue had been. And um, we went into this one place and our our taxi driver was a lovely guy. He was like our translator as well. And he was, we were trying to find out where my great grandfather's synagogue was, like what street it was, what plot. And um, he was very sweet, a wonderful Polish guy. And the, we were in this uh, office and asking about the records because everything actually was quite well recorded. And this clerk, and I, I can still picture his face right now, sort of started sneering something. He gave me a look. He gave my dad a look. And then he looked back at our taxi driver and was basically like spitting out his words. And my our taxi driver just like went, 
pale. He was so embarrassed. He, he looked like he just wanted to bury himself, like the earth would swallow him up. And um, they were talking Polish, couldn't follow a thing. But I, I figured something was like pretty super awkward, unpleasant, like big yikes. And um, and then immediately um, this other clerk starts running and and trying to explain something to the taxi driver and she's talking a mile a minute. So what had transpired was that um, the the yucky clerk guy um, was took much umbrage. He was very irritated by a couple of Jews showing up asking about their property. Um, he was not very happy about that. He told the taxi driver, you know, basically like, what is it with these Jews coming here? And if they want to find a record, they can go to Lodge. Very dismissive, <clears throat> very angry, very unfriendly, very like, oh, this feels kind of like anti-Semitism. And on the other hand, this uh, female clerk, the one who went running embarrassed to speak to our taxi driver was saying, here's what you can do. And we have records of this and you can go there. And I'm going to tell you where the cemetery used to be. It's not there anymore. It's just a field. And here's where this was. Here's where that was. So, you know, in that moment, it was like a very strange thing because I thought to myself, wow, like here's, um, here's the guy who would have turned me in basically. And there's the lady who would have like, you know, shoved me in her attic to try to protect me. That's really honestly how it felt. So, um, I hate to say it, but like, you know, over these COVID years, I have felt the exact same thing. And I do not understand how anybody can further question, how did the Holocaust happen? How did people turn in their neighbors? You know, how did people um, join up with these killing squads? You know what? Like, get with the program. It's because humans um, can be very evil. And a lot of people just are not willing to accept that. That is the truth. And I think we've seen enough people behave in such a reprehensible fashion over this COVID stuff for whatever their motivation. It could have been financial. Maybe they like the control. Um, maybe they want you to eat the bugs. Whatever their personal motivation. Maybe they're just miserable people who like spreading misery. Um, I've seen enough of it. Um, to just accept the fact that there are humans who are truly awful, mean-spirited, cruel. There's a lot of sadists um, among us. And so, yeah, I think like Gestapo is not entirely inappropriate. Um, I know a lot of a lot of Jewish people are like, don't go near that Holocaust. And I, I get that. And I think that we can still discuss the singular elements of the Holocaust that were singular to the Jewish people um, without compromising um, anything, any kind of integrity. But we do have to look at, you know, people were turning in their parents. Um, people were turning in their children. No socializing, considering people to be dirty like vermin. Um, all the br police brutality that we saw. I mean, this was like reprehensible Gestapo type of stuff. Um, and I remember, you know, Kathy Shadle used to call police, um, <coughs> excuse me, here in Canada, at least, civil servants with guns. And, you know, that's kind of a dangerous situation when the police, especially as we've seen, as some of them are so easily corruptible or so easily go along to get along and not object to brutalizing their fellow citizens, women and children. Um, you know, in America, I think, despite 
gun violence, despite what seems like an excessive amount of guns to most Canadians, I think that um, what we've seen is that it's a better situation to have the Second Amendment than it is to have us without any guns whatsoever. So I think that I'm going to wrap up that question. Um, you know, it's it's pretty depressing, but I don't think there's really any other way to look at it. Um, like I've just gotten so many emails and so many calls from people who were so, so badly treated. I mean, including, I've mentioned before, including how my disabled son uh, was treated throughout this entire episode. And we're only just starting, starting to feel some drops of normalcy. Um, it's been awful. It's not over. I think that there's a lot that's still being planned for us. And, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that people dismissed as conspiracies, plenty of those are coming true right now. Um, so we should probably be keeping an eye on what the mainstream media is calling conspiracies nowadays. Um, the whole digital ID thing is pretty freaky. Uh, I'm sure most of you would agree. Um, yeah, there's much, much going on. And uh, we really have to be vigilant. This COVID tyranny and is, is certainly not over. Uh, we're going to have some very, very um, troubled troubled times still to come. Okay. Wow. A lot of, uh, <laughs> there's more, more Holocaust stuff. Um, let's see more woke. We can talk about the woke stapo. AJ. Let's see what AJ says. Laura, do you think the crazy wokeisms you so dutifully and diligently chronicle in your links is one end of a pendulum that will swing back to sanity, or is it a stage in a spectrum that will keep getting worse? That's a really good question. Um, as you know, I like to call these lunatics the woke Gestapo. Obviously, you can see that I'm okay with the Gestapo comparison. I think um, with the trans stuff, I have the feeling that we might, might be at the beginning stages of a little bit of the start of the end. I, I know that sounds a little bit hokey, but, um, you know, a lot of articles lately that I've seen in the mainstream media are discussing puberty blockers, that maybe they're not such a great idea. Maybe there should be some evidence um, before we start giving these life-altering castrating, sterilization-causing drugs to children. Maybe we should look into that a little bit more. Maybe we should offer counseling before we cut off, you know, people's breasts and take out their uteruses, etc. Um, I'm seeing a lot of that. I'm seeing um, a realization that some of this trans stuff, you know, really probably should have stayed in the faculty lounges and in academia. It doesn't even belong there, but it just the crazy stuff should have stayed there. I'm seeing people talk about the fact that there seems to be kind of an inherent misogyny within this trans-affirming stuff, and also um, really sort of an anti-gay element as well. Um, people starting to talk about the fact that it's anti-gay in the sense that if you suspect as a parent that your child is in the wrong body, or, or that they're the wrong gender, let's say, why do you have to mutilate their body? Why can't they just develop and be who they are, gay or lesbian or whatever? Um, 
are you uncomfortable with them being gay? Why do we have to change that? So in terms of the trans stuff, I think that we've kind of, we might have hit peak trans with some of this. Um, and certainly there's been a lot of backlash to the videos that uh, like Libs of TikTok puts out catching these predatory teachers who are very pro-trans and all these school administration people bragging about um, basically brainwashing children into this trans cult. Um, and I think it is cultish. I think there is a so societal contagion element to it. And one thing that somebody brought to my attention recently is there's also a profit model. I mean, if you get um, children hooked onto and hooked into medical interventions, you know, at such a young age for the rest of their lives, there's a lot of money to be made by pharmaceutical companies, by doctors. Um, so I think we have to look at what motivates all these people. You know, I suspect also that somebody, um, not me, maybe somebody who's a little bit more expert and have more time to research this, but I think that there's an element also that we're not talking about, which is that a lot of the cases that make the news, a lot of these horrible cases, are where um, parents have broken up. I see a lot of single parents. Um, I see a lot of gay parents or trans parents um, publicly discussing their trans kids. And um, in my experience, you rarely see stories of trans kids, especially at these very young ages, where there's two parents, you know, in a relatively healthy marriage together, the mom and the dad. Um, so I, th I think that we have to look at what, what might motivate a parent to get into these circles, what's motivating the teachers. And I think we're just now starting to scratch the surface in terms of talking about it without being afraid in terms of, um, mainstream media being willing to touch this. Um, that's, that's my sense. So that's, I think in keeping with crazy wokeism, that's definitely one of the craziest stuff. <clears throat> but in general, um, I really like the quote that Mark uses frequently, which is that you really can't uh, shame people into doing the right thing. We've got to force these people from doing the wrong thing. It's just so like that. And, you know, a perfect example of that is what Mark did with his, he calls it his small little crappy TV show. It is not. It is influential and good on Mark for just going at it every single night, talking about all the things that people aren't supposed to talk about. Because you know what happens? You shine some sunlight on all of these topics and these horrible, terrible humans implementing policies that will harm others and not themselves scurry away like little cockroaches running to Claude Klaus Schwab's cockroach bar to be turned into milkshakes and cockroach brownies. And that is a good thing. Look what Mark did, basically one-handed, with the village, you know, in England that they planned to turn into like, like a rape jihad central pretty much. Like, I'm surprised they didn't do a PowerPoint about the glories of it, you know, borrowing from the Fort Hood shooter. And Mark was able to turn that back. Turn that back for that village, which is awesome. But that doesn't mean that you can rest on your laurels and that they're not going to try to pull that kind of stunt on somebody else. So on their own, 
own, I don't think people um, will get to that point where it's like, oh, wow, you know, I, I've been a really mean, um, uncaring, cruel, sadistic member of the woke Stapo. I'm going to stop that. No, I think a lot of these people um, will just always have to be forced out of doing these terrible things. And it's unfortunate, but like there's really no uh, live and let live with the left and with these crazy lefties and with the crazy woke Stapo. You know, that's what most of us would say to other people like, <clears throat> okay, you know what? I like, I don't want to cut my breasts off, but like, hey, if you want to do that, like you go be you, you do you. Um, or uh, I don't think that um, Kamala Harris will make a great president, but you know, hey, you go ahead, you keep voting Democrat or like, yeah, you know, I like, totally cool to keep voting for these crazy people mayors and making blue states just like crime ridden dirt hole worse than the third world actually like Mexico is actually safer than these places um but like if you want to do that you go ahead you there's no reciprocity okay and there never will be there is no reciprocity stop expecting it it's like I wrote in the links somebody else that I know was getting a tough love lecture uh, when you expect people to be shamed, you cannot shame the shameless. They sleep very well at night. They will not be shamed. You must force them to do the right thing. And like this woman said to me, she said her friend just looked at her and said, stop trying to buy milk at the hardware store. <laughs> I just, I love that. Like talk about things that I wish I had thought of first, but I'm just going to use it like over and over again. I'm totally liberating that. You will hear me say it many more times. So yeah, let's not expect that. Um, so dear AJ, I do not think, I don't think we've hit like any kind of end. I'm not sure about the pendulum, but definitely uh, keeping vigilant. There's never going to be a time where they say like, okay, I have my fill of woke. I am totally satisfied. I am like 100% full of my woke and don't need to do anything to torment other people. No, these people are very lost souls. They're very unhappy. You know, Kathy, my darling, darling friend, rest her soul. She really had a great line and perspective about it is that these people are truly damaged. And if you, you, you look at them and you hear what they've gone through and you look at them and you have to say, what happened to you? Like, why are you like this? What happened? Who did what to you that you're so angry? You're so troubled and broken. So, you know, yes, we should pity people. Um, but we also have to be really wary and we have to protect our children from them. We have to protect our families from them um, because they'll just continue to do a lot of damage lashing out. And uh, there just will never be a point where they say like, OK, had my fill. I'm good. Move on. Um, let's see. Okay, we're going to go a little bit away from the Jewy stuff. Um, and I'm going to take another sip of water. It is extremely, extremely hot in Toronto right now. Um, it's like, oh, I have to do it in Celsius. Forgive me, all you Fahrenheit people. It's like 37 something with the humidity making it feel like, I don't know, 825 degrees. Thank God for air conditioning. As one of my kids would say, it's not just boiling, it is schmoiling. I'm still schmoiling, so I'm going to just take a little drink. And I'm going to look for a non-Jewy question. Let's see. T 
Tom Lewis. Laura, do you have an opinion on events in Hungary and the upside and downside of Viktor Orban? Okay, so sort of. I'm not really like a Magyar expert in any sense of the word. Basically, I think that like my running rule is like if the mainstream media is telling me to hate somebody and that they're an anti-Semitic Nazi, they're probably not a bad person. And, you know, if Bibi Netanyahu is friends with somebody, friends, like political friends with somebody, then they're they're probably all right. Um, I think he's done some great things in Hungary. Um, it's 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 like a minefield because, you know, Hungary has such a terrible, terrible history with with its with its Jewish population. So it's a very dicey territory for me, um, although I would say now that probably like the Jewish community of Hungary, as small as it is, is probably one of the safest communities in the world. Um, so, yeah, that's I, I don't have many opinions other than that about Hungary. Um, but like I said, my general rule of thumb is that if the New York Times is telling me that I have to hate somebody, I'm probably going to like them very much. Okay, moving along. Let us see. Robert Fox. Laura, love hearing your voice. That is so kind of you, Robert, because like I said, my husband was like, no, I'm probably not going to listen live, my darling, because I hear you talking at me all the time. So kind of you, Robert Fox. Um, you sound like such a nice, gentle woman. Oh, nice. Oh, no, don't call me nice. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not actually that nice. And I'm not, I'm not so gentle. I mean, I'm like gentle with my kids, but I think I'm pretty prickly. But I write, but you write like someone not to be trifled with. That is true. That is true. One of Mark's columns from one year ago, following the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, talks about the strong horse, weak horse maxim. That is extremely clever. Yes, Mark is a smart guy, as we know. Do you think the younger generations in the West look at groups like BLM and Antifa as strong horses against the backdrop of political leaders looking like weak horses? During the summer of George Floyd, the vast majority of BLM protesters appeared to be white suburbanites. Are the youth of today longing for the strong horse? Yeah, definitely. Um... I think the strong horse, weak horse um, idea is applicable to so many things. Um, it's like, you know, when you were in high school and there was the popular kids table and you kind of would look at it. Well, I did. And I was like, oh, I'd love to sit at the popular kids table, but I never did. You look in and um, I think that, again, it's a question of um, a lack of meaning. You know, kids that have... Um, <clears throat> who go to school, who have a part-time job, who volunteer doing something, whose parents know what they're up to all the time, who insist on manners, who have dinner together, for example, as a family, who insist that their children put their phones down or off once in a while. Um, you know, that happens less to kids, uh, youths, when there's a lot more supervision, you know, when they get a lot of, a lot of t being told no, you know, don't be a brat, don't cry, 
I'm not going to fold when you cry. Um, there's a lot of really bratty uh, behavior. And um, these brats, the little brats, grow up to be big brats. So are the youth of today longing for the strong horse? I mean, yeah, they're they're looking for father figures, for sure. Um, they're looking for meaning, too. I mean, we were just talking about this a little bit earlier. Their lives are kind of empty, right? Um, so you're going to look for excitement. Um, kids need, I think, when they're young, especially... Um, a lot of rules. Kids want rules. They want order. They want to know that parents are in charge. And when the kids are in charge, it's a reversal and it just sets you up for some very bad times in the future. Um, my father actually had a good line about this, which is like, either you cry now, they cry now or you cry later in terms of kids. So meaning that if you don't set limits, um, and if like, and if you're afraid of hearing your kids cry because you wouldn't buy them the stupid toy at the toy store or the chocolate bar at the grocery store and they have a tantrum, you know, sometimes you just have to let them cry. It's too bad. Um, they can't always have what they want. And if you don't deal with those little tantrums, then you get bigger tantrums and the stakes just get bigger and bigger. So those things are all related. Again, I, I think we can really tie things back to meaning and what we do with our time. And, you know, it's like with jobs also, like we don't just call jobs. So some people say, oh, my career, my career. OK, you can have a career. But the other way of looking at what you do to make money or what you spend your time doing to put food on the table, it's also it's an occupation, right? What are you occupied with? I mean, even in therapy, you know, people have to do occupational therapy, sometimes have to rehabilitate the things that one ought to be occupied with. So if you occupy your time um, with stupid stuff and meaningless stuff um, or chemical highs, whether it's alcohol or drugs or violence, um, that's not a good thing to be occupied with. And it's going to lead to more occupation of your brain, which is very precious, with more stupid stuff. And it's going to be hard to wean yourself away from that. I mean, some people do. But the problem is that nowadays, there isn't really much in terms of consequences for people that idle their time away and are occupied with misery. Um, anyways, that is my opinion about that. Uh, let us see. Um, I'm going to I'm going to scroll down for some new ones and then I will go back to, I see a Christian type of question. So we will go back to that. I'm going to just let us see. Um, <coughs> Fran, it is Fran. Fran, who I met in Montreal before Armageddon hit. Hello, darling Fran. Fran Lavery says, hi, Laura. I always wondered how you met Kathy Shadle and Mark Stein. Can you share the stories behind these connections? Also, when you're not preparing your amazing Laura's links, that's very kind of you, thank you, and caring for your precious family and just having downtime, do you have any favorite pastimes or authors you love? It's wonderful to hear your voice. Well, that is very sweet, Fran. Fran is like in the Laura fan club. I appreciate that very much. So... 
I met Kathy because Mark Stein used to link to her blog, Relapsed Catholic, which was amazing. Uh, she had a wicked sense of humor all the time. It was a daily click. I don't, I don't know how Mark found Kathy, but, and then I followed her blog when she, um, rebranded it to five feet of fury and would click it like a gazillion times a day. And I thought she was so funny and smart and just like amazing, of course. And, um, and then I started, I'm, you know, like a relatively social person. I started this like secret lunch club. I don't know if you guys all remember, but there was a website, a blog, Little Green Footballs, Charles Johnson. This is a long time ago in the more fun days of the internet. And um, there were a bunch of us that we found, we, we found out we all lived in Toronto. And so I organized lunch meetups and we would have lunch together and shoot the breeze and talk about how like, you know, we didn't have anybody else to be friends with. And um, so I would invite guest speakers to come and I invited Kathy and she was like, you want me to come speak where and do what? She was very shy. Um, but I was like, yes, absolutely. And she gave just a banger of a talk and we became friends. Uh, like it was just so crazy. So if you read my appreciation of Kathy, um, you can read that exchange that we had and yeah, I I don't talk a huge amount about Kathy because uh, it has not in any way gotten any easier um, since she died. Uh, and I mentioned that, um, you know, some friendships, oh, I'm going to get all verklempt here, but some friendships are like just once in a lifetime, you know, you'll just never, you know. You'll never have that kind of mind meld with anybody in the same way. That's not to say that you can't make new friends, but like uh, we just had a really special, very deep um, connection. Um, and it was lots of emails every day, like just trying to outdo each other on being outrageous and gross and funny and just disgusting and, you know, Kathy was like the we, we were the only ones I think who could handle how outrageous we were like we were even thinking of <laughs> starting a podcast and we agreed I I, I don't remember whose um, idea this particular feature is but we were going to have like slut of the week <laughs> or like bad plastic surgery celebrity of the week or like 43 years old my tuchus like there were just because you know these celebrities would always say that they're just like 43 years old so Anyways, that's, uh, I, I eventually probably will be able to talk about Kathy more without bursting into tears. Um, but I am a wimp and sentimental and I miss her pretty much every single day. And I hope that she is at peace because she was a wonderful person and um, unique and um, a very, very good friend. Um with Mark, Mark Stein, the great prophet Mark Stein, pocket squares be upon him forever. I mean, I mean, that's a longer story. Um, I remember when the National Post started. Uh, this is like about 25 years ago. I started seeing these amazing articles by this guy who had a Jew fro 
in his picture column, his little headshot thingy. It was like a little picture. And he made me laugh out loud on the subway. It was crazy. I looked forward to it every time. I did know an editor at the National Post at the time who was like, yeah, this guy, he's like Conrad's guy. And we don't know when he's going to send us stuff. But whenever he does, we publish it. And so that was my first um, exposure to Mark Stein. And, um, you know, that's the rest of the story. Uh, as the Mossad says, I could tell you the rest of the story, but then I would have to kill you. So maybe we'll go into that um, some other time. Um, yes, I am domestic servitude and slavery most of the time. Do I have any favorite pastimes? I love music. I like singing. I used to play bass guitar and stand up bass. I would like to get back to a little bit more music. Um, thank you for saying that it is wonderful to hear my voice. I do not have much downtime, uh, but busy people always have time. That is, that's, uh, that's basically not, not so much downtime. Um, oh, and I like to exercise. That's a good thing. Brain and body are a very important connection. Urge you all to exercise. Uh, okay, we are getting uh, very close. Oh boy, see, my husband was right. I do love talk, talk, talking. Uh, we'll do a few quickies and then uh, we're going to have to bring things to a close because it's getting very close to Shabbat. Uh, let's see. Suzanne Rennie, Rini. really glad to hear your voice. Laura, Shabbat Shalom to you. Thank you for your weekly column, which many of us look forward to every Thursday. That is very sweet of you. Um, Mark Stein, as you may well know, has the patience of a saint. Saint Mark. So I will be around and tormenting uh, Mark Stein for as long as he can tolerate me. But that is uh, very kind of you. Thank you so much. Uh, Todd Hines. Hi, Laura. Yesterday's links left me rummaging for my dear deceased grandmother's well-known novenas to St. Jude. Um, okay, that is that is a good thing. Prayer. Good. I identify that as good prayer. Um, and St. Jude's Hospital is awesome. So I am not super, Kathy used to be my like Catholicism expert, so you'll forgive me, but I am glad that you are praying. Thankfully, I watched the Mark Stein show and a glimmer of optimism returned. If there's a path out of it, and that's a huge if, might that path run through our youth? I don't know. I don't know, Todd. Parents got to buck up. You know, parents are sort of weaklings. They're like wet noodles. We need strong parents, strong dads, you know, belief, faith. Uh, Toby Young suggested that many 14 and 15 blah, 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 are running from conventional thinking. Yeah, you know, they're not getting a good example. <laughs> and everything that was conservative is being destroyed as well. Boy Scouts, churches, churches are woke. I mean, it's all gross. So maybe we have to make some new institutions, you know, homeschooling, etc. Um, anyways, yeah, I, I think that youth can be wonderful and turn into well-adjusted adults, but they need parents to be parents. That is the bottom line. I think we probably have time for one more quick question. Oh, right. I wanted to get to... Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, we have a question about um, the second husband uh, motor... I, I think I'm going to pass on that one just because Kamala and her... She just is so irritating. I just don't want to get into a bad mood. Um, but George, I think this was this will be our last one. 
and we're going to wrap up. So hello, Laura, as a Christian in Canada, I've confirmed that the problem of non-religious cultural Jews does have a parallel within Christianity. Yeah, like a buffet style thing, right? I'll take this. I don't want this. Especially true with the United Church of Canada, with few exceptions, there are mostly progressive and wokeness there. Many view the Bible as a collection of myths and stories. Yeah, that's that's tough. I've been long retired as a minister, but I'm invited to speak in congregations that are starving for a rich, biblically grounded diet. On the positive side, my daughter and only child embraced the Jewish faith. Wow, muscle tov. That is really cool. They have blessed me with four wonderful grandchildren. Oh, that is so nice. I'm also discovering through ancestry and DNA research that I have 80% or more European Jewish. Okay, dude, George, <laughs> this is very suspicious. You may well be Jewish. You got to find out uh, in Judaism, halachically, uh, people are Jewish when their mothers are Jewish. If you have 80% or more European Ashkenazi Jewish ancestry, you know, you should look into um, your the maiden names of the matriarchs of your family because you could already be a member of the tribe. Um, anyways, if you want more about that, uh, several people have written to me personally about such issues. And um, if that is the case, if your mother is halachically Jewish or your grandmother, then you are a member of the tribe, Mazel Tov as well. So thank you for sharing that that uh, story. It is wonderful. I cannot wait for grandchildren. I am truly excited about grandchildren. Um, I think that basically we are going to wrap up. Uh, it is five o'clock and I hope that you have enjoyed, uh, this substitute guest host for the substitute guest host for the great prophet Mark Stein himself. Um, I hope to be able to join you some other time and please feel free to drop any questions, um, still that you might have or comments into the comment box and we will try to get to them uh, when we can. And I am going to sign off now and uh, help Mr. C and the kids get ready for Shabbos. So thank you very much for tuning in and I hope to be with you again. Uh, Mark signs off, stay safe and free and I will just wish you the same thing. Stay vigilant. There's still uh, lots of bumpy waters ahead. Have a good weekend, guys. Take care. Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.